Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, friends. My name is Jenna, if we haven't met. I'm the executive pastor here at Awaken. Welcome to you. If you are visiting or new, it can be a big deal to come to a church. So we're really thankful you're here. Uh, If anyone has any tithes or offerings, uh, those can be placed in the black boxes or you can give online. And if you are new and wanting to connect here, um, you can fill out a connection card in front of you. Uh, or go online and let us know you're here. Someone on staff will contact you. We would love to take you out for a beverage of your choice, get to know you a little bit better. Um, those cards can also go into the black boxes if you choose to fill out the physical one. Friends, it's Advent today, um, which is very, I mean, a personal favorite for me. So we wanted to let you know of some of the things that are going on around here. Uh, If you are looking for a serving opportunity in this season, a couple options for you. One of those, if you like to cook or you want to buy a gift card, we usually do something that we just call the Advent Meal Drive. So uh, the ask or invitation to you is to create some freezer meals. These meals uh, go to families, individuals who are maybe uh, in a hard moment where a meal could be nice maybe a hospitalization, a baby. Uh, we just stock up over this season. Um, and if you are not a cook, but you would want to like give a gift card, that would be wonderful too. Um, the other thing that we are highlighting this Advent is a partnership of ours, the Ain Young Center. Um, that is a nonprofit that serves indigenous youth in the Twin Cities. So there is a supply drive going on. Um, you can find out more information about both of those things. Uh, If you do choose to participate, anything you bring or donate can go in the back at the Discover Awaken booth. Uh, This Thursday, December 1st at 7 p.m., we have our monthly artist mingle. So if you are creative in the community, um, Mel and some folks host this every month. That will be at John and Peggy Denham's house. You can contact Melody at Awaken West 7th for the address. And then finally, we have a... Uh, Christmas concert that we're hosting here Saturday, no, Friday, Saturday, December 17th. Tides of Winter will be here. Um, They're a local group who are phenomenal. Uh, Tickets are $10. We would love to have you there. Uh, I think that's it. So today is the first day of Advent, um, a season in church history uh, that has been marked uh, that is significant Um, and that we celebrate. Uh, I don't know if you maybe came from a tradition or didn't come from a tradition that highlighted Advent. I didn't. And so it's always, I mean, look at what we've done to the place. It's amazing. (laughs) Uh, It feels really good to be reminded of like, oh yeah, this is what this season is about. And, And maybe if you did come from a tradition that highlighted it, uh, to be reminded, um, I'm leaning on one of my favorite writers uh, and voices, Cole Arthur Riley, if you've heard of her. Um, She's one of those people for me that is just always in lockstep with the moment and words for the moment. Um, Maybe you would know her. She's on Instagram as Black Liturgies. She has a lot of breath prayer. Um, And every Advent, she does something special. So if you're looking for like a devotion um, or practice this Advent, 
highly recommend her. In no way is this sponsored. Um, no, I, I just appreciated her words. And so as we kind of land in and, and settle into this season, um, let me remind us of what Advent is. So she says, Advent is a season where we think about a God who dwelled in the sacred blackness of a womb before being born in the world at Christmas. It's a season where we are given space to name our deepest longings, to name the quiet ache that each of us experiences for belonging, healing, and liberation. And we look in hope at a promise. So friends, that is what we get to walk through together this season. Uh, Mel mentioned that we are starting a new series today entitled The Songs of Advent, where we will be looking at the four songs uh, in the Gospel of Luke. So Mary, Simeon, Zechariah, um, and the angels, and then Christmas, we always highlight a special word. Um, We chose this series for a couple of reasons, one of them being that these four songs, or canticles as they're called, have been sung in church history for thousands of years. And when we think about the themes of Advent, um, awakening to longing, what aches in us, like what better than a song uh, to lead us there and draw us there. Um, And so I'm I'm excited for this season. With that, I'd love to invite Elizabeth up uh, for the reading of the scriptures today. This is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, 46. Uh, If you are able, would you stand, please, for the reading of the word? And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Will you pray with me? God, for eyes to see and ears to hear this morning, the ways that you are gently calling, um, inviting us into new spaces. Would you give us what we need, the things we know we need, and maybe the things we don't know. In the strong name of Christ we pray. Amen. can have a seat. Um, So the passage we're in is Mary's song, or the Magnificat, as it has been called. Uh, Historically, and this one today... Uh, is just, it's special for me, Um, in part because just shy of 10 years ago, this passage was a part of the very first sermon I ever gave at Awaken, Um, and friends, it was really bad. (laughs) (laughs) 
Really bad. And I know that <laughs> because maybe five years ago I was kind of asking myself this question. Um, like, what is the role of, of teaching in my life and work, and um, is this something I keep doing? And so, in an attempt to answer that question and discern it, I made myself listen to every sermon I ever preached. Let me tell you about a humbling moment. Um, and this was this is how we started, was like the terrible <laughs> first sermon. <laughs> um, but if I'm being honest, there... Uh, is just a tenderness to like your first try at a thing. And it's going to come out shaky, but you're going to try and you're going to see how it is. Um, and got a little pride in there too. So an opportunity to try it again, I said yes to. <laughs> um, but all that to say, I would love to begin today with something we call an all play around here. So if you are new that is very simply where I just ask a question, and then if you have a response, you say it out loud. Um, so very simple question. When you think about Mary, the mother of Jesus, what are some of the things that come to mind for you? Bravery. Bravery. Yeah. Humility. Young. Yeah. What else? Vulnerable, obedient, yeah, that's great. As I was preparing, um, I did what many do, and I googled Mary. <laughs> um, but this is the first image that came up when I just googled Mary. And I sat with that image for a while, and this is some of what came up for me. Pure, gentle, innocent, soft, white. She probably wasn't white, you guys. Um, Mary, arguably, is one of the most important figures in Christian history outside of Christ himself. Just to give you some context... Uh, in the Catholic tradition, there is an entire branch of theology devoted to the study of Mary. It is creatively called Mariology. Um, even Protestant traditions, though, have a branch of, of Marian theology is what it's called. Eastern Orthodox participate in something called the veneration of Mary, which is a step down from worship, um, but nonetheless uh, devoting prayer and practice towards this figure of Mary. Uh, and, you know, evangelicals, we don't always know what to do with Mary. She was a willing vessel. Um, I grew up in that tradition, and I didn't know the Magnificat was a thing until I was in theology school. Um, and so all of that to say, I think what I'm hoping to do together this morning is to take all of those assumptions of what we have about this person, this figure, um, maybe the ways we've learned about Mary, um, maybe even the ways we hold her or this part of the narrative dearly, and to the degree we're able, I'd love for us to just set it down for a moment. We're in a song together this morning, and a song has the power to draw us and lead us in ways that we maybe wouldn't naturally be inclined. 
And so these words that were read and musically interpreted by Mel in a beautiful, stunning way, like these words have been sung and spoken across time and cultures and communities for thousands of years. And today, in St. Paul, Minnesota, on November 27th, in the year of our Lord, I don't know if I use that properly, it just kept coming to mind. <laughs> um, we get to hear the story again. Like we get to let her sing it over us again for something, for hope, that maybe we could hear it fresh. May it be so. And so as we begin, I'd love to start, you know, today is kind of simple. Um, to contextualize where this song is in the story, um, I actually just want us to return to the Gospel of Luke, and I want to read uh, what has come before this song. Um, so, starting in verse 26, um, I'm just going to read the words. They will be on the screen for you to follow along. This is the Annunciation, as we like to call it. Um, so, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So you have Mary, this young woman, likely aged between 13 and 16. I want you to just think of yourself at that time frame, 13 to 16. I was wearing Jesus t-shirts to school hating my math teacher, and very mediocrely playing clarinet. <laughs> that was my world, uh, and my faithful representation, my favorite t-shirt in particular, said, security on the back, underneath, God's protection forever. <laughs> that was my faithful witness. <laughs> but what you do have is this young woman who has a mystical experience, an invitation to carry God inside of her. And the weight of her acceptance to that invitation 
is wild, like maybe even just hard to comprehend. Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. And in that time, engagement was kind of the equivalent of, of like, you're married. You, you, you know, the transaction happened. Um, however, it's the wedding ceremony that kind of opened the way for the option for a marriage to be consummated. And so there's this mysterious thing that happens where Mary is all of a sudden pregnant, and it's not Joseph's baby, which is a problem. Um, what's true is in Joseph and Mary's culture at the time, for a woman to be pregnant outside of marriage, the likely punishment per the law was death. There were some exceptions, um, but man, likely she's an adulterous woman, um, and, and that, that's the penalty. So at worst, it's death. At best, you are an outcast in your community, ostracized, like a real life-ruining decision is on the table here. That was the reality that Mary knowingly accepted. And as I, I don't know, just tried to think about what that must have been like, this question I've been sitting with in the passage this week is just, what makes you say yes to that kind of risk? To that level of possible consequence, what makes any of us say yes to whatever it is that God might want to grow in us? Because it always involves the risk, the death of something, the labor of something, for something new to be born. What makes you say yes to it? For Mary, in that yes, She's not just holding a deep faith in something. She's also holding centuries-old, generation-to-generation assumptions that there would be a savior figure who would come and liberate the people. Israel had been under occupation for centuries. Assyrian, Babylonian, Persian, now Roman, And with that occupation came a certain kind of oppression. And when you have a people group like the Israelites, the Hebrew people, land is so central to self and collective understanding, similar to maybe indigenous communities here, that when there's occupation involved, like there is a special kind of wounding there because it's so central to your identity. Um, And so for the people, The theology and the hope of a messianic liberator whose rule and reign would exceed that of King David, a real bright spot in Israel's history, was like central in the bones of Jewish thought and life. It was the hope of all hopes that one day it would be different. Like actually different. The kind of hope where the situation has changed kind of different. Not where it's like the hopes and prayers that give some inner peace. Something is actually different. That is the hope. And so for Mary, teenage Mary, to have this encounter, hope was coursing through her like electric in her body. Could this be the moment of liberation 
the angel said. And so what do you do in a moment like that? You go to your cousin. That's what Mary did. It's with Elizabeth that she has this moment where this song erupts out of her. And while some of us in the room are maybe not prone to bursting out in song when a good thing happens, um, I know that we have enough actors and artists in the room to know that some of you know (laughs) what Mary is feeling. Um, But for those who maybe don't know that feeling, friends, we've reached the moment in the sermon of the sports metaphor. (laughs) Honestly, I kind of hate myself for it, but it just works. (laughs) I couldn't think of anything else. But it is that, it's that moment when you're involved and you're, you're holding anticipation and expectation and the back and forth of a thing, and then the team does it. And it's the moment where all cognitive reasoning (laughs) leaves and your body takes over and whatever you exclaim comes out of you. Like I imagine it's that kind of feeling that Mary was experiencing. Mary and her cousin Elizabeth start to put together the pieces of what God must be doing. Freedom is coming. And so Mary sings songs that resemble women who have gone before her. Mary's song harkens back to Hannah's song in 1 Samuel when she longs for a child, and that reality is experienced, and she dedicates that child back to God. It's connected to Miriam's song in the Exodus, where Miriam leads the people celebrating freedom from the bondage of slavery. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. For Mary, she knows what to do in a moment like this. She sings. And the content of this song is not just a nice, worshipful moment. It's not the gentle, mild, meek Mary. She's acknowledging her own finitude and her purpose in a larger story, but her song holds so much more weight. Mary says this, He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their throne, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. A couple of things here. The song switches to past tense called the aorist in the Greek, for any trivia people out there. You might need to know that one day. Um, she is speaking so confidently in a thing that hasn't happened, as if it has already happened. Um, friends, I cannot emphasize enough like the actual belief that things were physically going to change. Herod, Rome, all occupation and oppression would be ceasing This is a song of liberation. It's a revolution song. It's a loose the chains kind of song. In my study, I came across this quote from a book entitled The Real Mary by Scott McKnight. Some think of her song as a splendid piece of spirituality that can be tucked away in a pew hymnal. But her song belongs instead on a shelf with socio-spiritual songs of protest against unjust rulers. 
Governments in multiple parts of the world have banned the singing of this liturgy. Even some traditions in the church stop after verse 51, before the part where it talks about toppling rulers. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor and theologian executed by the Nazi regime, called the Magnificat, quote, the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary hymn ever sung. And whether or not we feel connected to that sentiment, today, we are singing the song again. And as we maybe let ourselves wonder about the significance of that, I couldn't help but wonder why. Like, why this song? What is it about this song that we keep coming back to? Because if you know me, I'm a bit of a realist, cynical on my bad days. And so my brain goes to the tension of it. Because we have this song of deep, confident hope and expectation in the acts of God. But we also know how the story goes. We know that Mary sees her baby hanging on a cross in a display of public execution by the state. Like a reminder and an example to those who might challenge or subvert the power, the status quo. That very real, tangible, things are going to change kind of hope that was so confident in that song, in a moment, is seemingly dead. Friends, we all know that moment well. Whether it's another miscarriage, the loss of relationship, a suffering body that doesn't have a diagnosis, a suffering body that does have a diagnosis, executions of protesters in Iran, mass shootings this week, one in particular targeting a marginalized community, queer bodies, a reminder of the very real danger that exists when you choose to be free and live into the fullness of who you are, like in the light, not in the dark, can be a terrifying remember, thing to remember. But there is no better taste than a life where your insides can match your outsides. There are things that can happen that can crush even the most confident hope, expectation, sense of belonging. So why do we keep singing the song if all of that other stuff... We need it. We need the song. We need a melody and a steady beat to teach us to carry hope, despite a reality that might say otherwise. We need the song to help our memory, to remind us of the freedom of the Spirit's rhythm. We need the song to protect us from resentment and cynicism, 
We need that song to burrow its way into our hearts, to keep it beating, to keep opening us up again. We need the song for resilience. For those of us with power and privilege, we need the song to wake us up and keep waking us up to God's justice. We need that song to teach the generations after us so that the work of God is stored up in our collective memory together. And we need that song to help us remember what is true. That love has come and will come again and will come again and will come again, no matter how many times we find ourselves longing, aching for it, it always will, it always has. So long as that sun rises, love, hope, will come again. And so today we sing the song. We position ourselves in the long history of those who have come before us and who have sang that song. And we join our voices in singing the song. With whatever faith or lack thereof, joy, hope, courage that we can muster, we sing the song. As we transition in response and closing this morning, um, we're going to take a moment of silence to let the Spirit say what I forgot to, or maybe just hold you in quiet. We're changing our rhythm a bit for Advent, um, so we're just going to be in one final song together. Um, and an invitation in that to let your body, your spirit, yourself uh, hear the melody, the rhythm, the words, just pay attention. Um, you're invited to sit, stand, kneel, um, whatever that posture is for you. So maybe just permission, um, I guess, to let the healing, liberating, nourishing presence of God that brings belonging hold you in song, whatever that might look like for you, whatever you need. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, um, thank you for the ways uh, that you sing over us, the ways that you hold the melody uh, when we maybe can't remember it, uh, the ways that you let us participate in the song. Come now and do your work, Lord. Amen. I feel like I just need to take a big breath. <laughs> so maybe all of us can do that. Uh, friends, receive these words as you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. And uh, check out the winter market. <laughs>
us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.